This is Rotten or Righteous News, and today we ask a question. Did you just say he had an adult potato thrown at him? Yes, he complained he had an adult potato thrown at his head. Rotten or Righteous, the only podcast that's a lot like Bruce Jenner. We're just really confused about what we want to be. Um, with me today... <laughs> what? What? <laughs> so, with me today, as always, he's Scott Judge, and I'm actually kind of happy to be here today that's as, awesome as our like loyal first time we've done this over two years i know and finally you're happy to be on an episode that's great well listen this this podcast has meant something to me i don't want to say it meant a lot to me but it's meant something uh to me for the past two years and we've been you know trying to find our our groove we started out reviewing the chosen found out that Apparently, I'm the only Christian in the entire world that has a problem with that show at all. Um, then moved on to some, some faith-based movies, but I'll be honest with you, it's spending two hours a week of my life watching that, and then another at least two hours a week writing a uh, synopsis. I just, I just, I'm, I'm depressed enough. I don't need to, to too much. I don't need to it's add on much. to my depression. And then we did MASH for a bit. I mean, we got through a season, a couple episodes, but then we realized it's real dumb, and I realized that nobody... You <laughs> wouldn't think it was possible to lose viewership, but somehow we started doing MASH I mean, I, and lost know, viewership. Nobody wants to listen to two overweight white guys talk about MASH nonstop for <laughs> weeks on it. But after a, a quick, uh, a quick, oh, what do you call it when you get people together? Uh, focus group. That's the word I'm looking for. Focus group. I know. The reason why I couldn't find that word is because I have ADHD. After a quick focus group, um, you know, we... <laughs> That's too much. ADHD and focus group. That's yeah. good. I can't, I can't, I can't do both. But after a it quick took, focus group. It took group, me a second, but. We, uh, uh, when I talked to some people who were about half my age, you know, they said, we really like the first 20 minutes of your podcast. And in the first 20 minutes of our podcast, we just did random news stories and fun stuff. And so I said, why don't we just do that? It'll be fun. And, uh. You know, Scott gets to react to news stories that he doesn't know what's coming. I get to read, which is at least one of my top 20 things that I can do. And uh, practice. You know, we're just going to turn this into a obscure news show. And I say obscure, I also mean probably news stories that you've heard about. But 
we're not going to take anything seriously. All right, so our first news story today comes to us from Axios from July 13th, 2022 by Jennifer A. Kingston. Headline is this, New AI Tools Let You Chat With Your Dead Relatives. Oh, boy. Oh, boy is right. <laughs> oh, boy. Daddy, where's Grandma? She's in the Alexa, son. Uh... Creepy or cool, new products that let people keep relatives quote-unquote alive via AI or are proliferating, offering, say, an interactive conversation with a recently departed dad who took the time to record a video interview before he passed. As interest in genealogy and ancestry proliferates, this person loves the word this proliferate. This is a challenge today. I mean, she has used pro proliferate twice in two paragraphs. I'm going to look that up real quick. Increase rapidly in number or multiply. So yeah, you know, she's using the word she's, right. She's proliferating. She is proliferating proliferates. I got <laughs> proliferated once. <laughs> I, was, I was able to get out of it, though. <laughs> well, I meant to ask you, how did that test come back? Well, I was told by my parole officer to tell folks it was negative, so... Okay. As interests in genealogy and ancestry proliferates, these tools let families preserve memories and personal connections through generations, even giving children a sense of the physical presence of a relative who died before they were born. The tools are also being used to record the memories of noteworthy people, celebrities, Holocaust survivors, etc., I got. I, I tell you what, Scott. I mean, are you for it or against it? Listen, I like I just said. I stopped watching faith-based movies because I have enough things to depress me. I don't know. <laughs> I don't this know. Is dead Uncle Jimmy. If that's it's going to be a giant pick me up. If I'm like Lex, let me talk to a dead person, and then Schmuel comes on, and then he's like, I survived the Holocaust. That, that, that's not going to pick me up. Yeah, I'm th it's, thumb it's thumbs down, but I, I can see where this will be a huge seller. All right, well, let, let's You know, keep... we should we should do that with each other, Zach. We should, like, uh, just speak into a microphone, like, you know, 100,000 words and come up with some system we can just continue to talk to people. I mean, if only we could do that. If only there's if just only. this... If only there's this just deep rich well, not of quality, but of quantity of our words, then someday yeah, I, when I, I die... I won't speak for you, but my well's not too deep. I mean, you, you've got enough on there. I mean, your your dead voice will be kind of like scratchy and not good and kind of bad quality because you refuse to get a microphone, but... <laughs> hey, I people, found my microphone the other day, by the way. Great. Maybe we should try to plug that in for next week. <laughs> I will. I think it's over there behind me right now. Somewhere. Apparently, apparently this tool, one such tool, this AI tool story file, was notably used at the late actor's Ed Asner's memorial service, where mourners were invited to converse with the deceased at an interactive display 
that featured video and audio he recorded over several days before he died. Nothing could prepare me for what I was going to witness when I saw it, Matt Asner, the actor's son, told Axios. I just wish Dad put a shirt on before he did this. <laughs> That's a sight, Ed Asner without a shirt on. <laughs> <laughs> just wish Dad was wearing clothes, but looked like any other evening with him running around the house. At Asner's memorial, many people just stopped by and asked a question, or a couple of questions, including Jason Alexander of Seinfeld fame, said Matt Asner, a TV and movie producer who now runs the Ed Asner Family Center, a nonprofit for people named Ed Asner. Actually, you just or you can't just ask one question, he observed. That's the great thing about it, it draws you in. Because the personality is there. Ed Asner, a former head of the Screen Actors Guild, had covered everything. His childhood, work, history, political history, family life, his son said. While a few mourners were a little creeped out by it, the conversational video was like having him in the room, Matt Asner said. The great majority of people were just blown away. I, 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 mm. I, I, I don't know. I don't know about this. I, I would be just... I don't know. That's new. That's cutting edge. I'm old school and I'm saying, no way. I mean, I mean, when your parents die, wouldn't it be kind of cool to have something like this where you could at least pretend to have a conversation with them? No, I don't think so. Yeah, I I don't like like talking to my parents either. I can't stand it. It's just, uh, uh, it's just not the real thing. Well, it depends Ew. on how, like, if when my grandma passes away, and I hope it's a long time from now, I it depends on how nuanced it is, whether or not I like it. Because if my yeah. grandma, like, can call me on the phone, and we can have a conversation, and she talks perfectly, and I can hear everything and ask her questions, I'm going to know it's fake. Because this is how conversations with my grandmother go. Hello? Hi, Grandma. Hello? Hello, Carl? <laughs> Carl! I can't get this stupid phone to work! Turn the volume up, Sally! I did! Try again. Oh, never mind, I didn't. Hello? Hi, Grandma, can you hear me? Hey, Zach, how are you? Unless it's almost exactly like that, it's going to take me out of the illusion that I'm actually talking to my grandmother. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not even yeah, going to seem right. <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't. I'm saying thumbs down on this. I don't like it. I don't like it at all. It well, just takes away from just reality. And now, let me throw a different scenario at you. What happens if you could record your voice talking, and then it would write sermons for you? <laughs> well, now that would be different. <laughs> then you just have to get up on the pulpit every Sunday and just move your mouth up and down, and then. <laughs> Different words would come out. Are you ready for news story number two? This is a bit of good yeah, news. Yeah, I'm this this good news. one, man. Do you need some good news? I need good news. This is the best news I've read in a long time. This comes to us from Fox News from July 18th, 2022, from writer Danielle Wallace. 
The headline reads, Fauci to retire by the end of Biden's term. <laughs> That's good news. That is good news. I am so sick of that troll-looking man. So Wear a mask! No, Fauci, just because... He could potentially retire any day now. You look like... Just because you look like a sad elephant that lost its trunk, and you need to cover that up because you keep scaring children, does not mean that I need to wear a mask. (laughs) A sad elephant that lost its trunk. I'm telling you, look at any picture of Dr. (laughs) Anthony Fauci. That's exactly what he looks like. A sad elephant that lost its trunk. That is sad. That is horrible. I mean, how would they go... Exactly. You couldn't eat peanuts. They don't have hands. You couldn't eat peanuts? You couldn't couldn't pick people up? Dr. Fauci, (sighs) chief medical officer to the President of the United States, said he would retire by the end of President Biden's term. And I said, why wait that long? According to a new report published Monday, Politico reported Monday that Fauci said he will retire by the end of Biden's term following more than five decades of federal service under seven different presidential administrations. Severin. Wow. Severin. Severin. That's when you get seven and several mixed up. The 81-year-old has been director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, also known as NIAD, since 1984, Reuters reported. He became the face of the American government policies regarding efforts to mitigate the coronavirus pandemic in 2020. I'm so excited. This is such good news. 1984, he was there with Reagan, and then Bush, and then Clinton. And then Bush. And then Bush. And then then Obama. Obama, Then Trump, and now Biden. Mm. Mm -mm Mm-mm-mm. Okay, so, oh, I have an update to a story we talked about last week. Really? Yeah. This is from Today by the Associated Press. It's not from Today, it's from the the show Today. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, it'll be on tomorrow. Um, It'll be on tomorrow. With Katie Couric. Jill Biden apologizes for saying Latinos are unique as breakfast tacos. <laughs> she actually did that pretty quick, didn't she? Didn't she like uh, yeah go try is... to clean that mess up like pretty? I mean, pretty quickly after she said it. I mean, it's been a week since she called Latinos breakfast tacos, but and I think she this story came out from like last Wednesday. Jill Biden apologized Tuesday for saying Latinos are as unique as San Antonio breakfast tacos during a speech to the nation's largest Hispanic civil rights and advocacy or advocacy organization. She got done saying that after visiting an NAACP rally where she said black people are as unique as fried chicken and waffles. It's horrible. It's it's horrible. And after that, she went to the Irish Immigrants League and said you're all as unique as hearts, stars, and horseshoes, clovers, and balloons, pots of golden rainbows, (laughs) and the red balloon. The First Lady apologizes that her words conveyed anything but pure admiration and love for the Latino community, tweeted Jill Biden's spokesperson, Michael LaRosa. 
The First Lady flew to San Antonio on Monday to address the annual conference of Unidos U.S., a Latino civil rights and advocacy group formerly known as the National Council of La Raza. She also spoke at a Democratic Party fundraiser at a private home before she returned to Washington. But Biden's attempts at a compliment floundered when she described Latino diversity as distinct as the bodegas of the Bronx, as beautiful as the blossoms of Miami, and as unique as the breakfast tacos here in San Antonio. Uh, I'd like to say poor Jill Biden, but no. Just no. I mean, it's, she's just, why? Why would you, why would you say that? I, I was she going? Was she going off script? I'm sure I mean, somebody. Seemed... I'm sure some like, like, just at a college speechwriter wrote that, and he's and they're like, "Oh, this is gonna be so good, and inclusive. Yeah, everybody's gonna and, love it." And now they're fired. Oh my goodness! All right, where else are we going here? We talk about. Oh no, this is a good one. This is from Yahoo News by Josie Enzer, and it was published June 25th, 2022. And the headline is, I went to gun training for U.S. teachers, and one of them shot her colleague. Sounds right. (laughs) Yahoo! (laughs) Oh, man. I I tell you what, Miss Josie Enzer is getting all dramatic here. The teacher's hand hovers over the gun holster. Coiled like a spring, she waits for the command. This is your school. You just heard gunshots in a class down the corridor, says the instructor. Go, go, go! He screams at primary school teacher Laura, guiding her towards a maze of rooms constructed out of plywood. Wearing ear defenders and ballistic goggles, Laura makes her way round a blind corner leading with her subcompact SIG pistol, just as she had been taught. I'm shadowing a few feet behind, praying she can steady her nerves. The 45-year-old is one of dozens taking part this week in the Faster Saves Lives FSL course in Southern Ohio, training teachers in what to do in the event of an active shooter on campus. Southern Ohio? Where are they at? I don't know. West Union. When violence strikes at school, you can be prepared, reads the FSL website. Attendees are told to bring along their own 9mm autoloader, a gun belt, and at least a thousand rounds of ammunition. Ironically, that was also the same exact list that I said that I want at my child's first birthday. (laughs) <laughs> hey, what was it, what was it she had on? Tactical glasses and what else was there? I, I, uh, what do they say? Ear defenders? Ear defenders and tactical glasses. I'd have been there sooner, but I couldn't find my tactical glasses. <laughs> well, Scott, I don't know about you, but I've taken defensive gun training courses before, and I've worn <sighs> earplugs. I know. Just I'm just funny. Do you know how you you shoot a gun? It hurts your earballs. 
Your ears hurt. It does. And you need your tactical glasses and your earballs. Story continues. Clocking a girl holding a Coke can and a young boy on his phone, Laura holds fire before aiming straight at the bad guy with the gun. She didn't stop to ask why is there a girl holding a Coke can and a young boy on his phone in the hallway with an active shooter, which would be my question. <laughs> is that Coke Zero or, or the regular? No hesitation. Bang, bang. Two shots through the heart. But she's too late, darling. You give love a bad name. So was he the active shooter or was she a Pepsi person? <laughs> you, you could wait for law enforcement. But the fastest person is always going to be somebody who is already there, she says, explaining what compelled her to sign up. Statistically, nearly 60% of shootings end before the police arrive. And to thinly patrolled rural areas like Ohio's West Union, the rate can be even higher. No one will protect these kids like we will, Laura says. I'd take a bullet for them. You ever been to one of those tactical kind of trainings? I was I, I was at a conference one time. I, it was over around Morgantown, and um, this is when I was doing marketing for one of the psychiatric hospitals. So there was all kinds of policemen over there, and they had this little Hold shooting thing. Hold on just one thing. second, because I have a question for you that I've been meaning to ask for a while. Oh, okay. Why does a psychiatric hospital need marketing? I'm pretty sure that if you have a crazy person, they'll find yeah, you. Yeah, but, but there's several... <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's several hospitals, so we want them to come to our hospital. Oh, okay. I forgot so, how, how richly dense in psychiatric hospitals Morgantown is. <laughs> well, actually, we weren't the closest one, which is probably why we were there. Anyway, they've got like this trading and stuff downstairs. And Zach, this is, this is horrible of me. I, I don't know what I was thinking. I wasn't thinking. So I go down and they're, they're working with a couple of the guys and they asked me to join in and, and, uh, you know, it was kind of neat how they simulated this stuff on the wall and they had, uh, like video of, uh, of, uh, sometimes it was real, it was real, but of what to look for and, uh, you know, people where they may hide stuff, wash their hands, just all this kind of stuff that is just vitally important for policemen to know. Well, they asked me if I wanted to join in. I'm like, yeah, I'd love to. <laughs> Zach, this, this is horrible. This is horrible. I just, just freaking started shooting. <laughs> it's just, I got the guy with the gun, the guy without the gun, somebody else that was standing there. And I want to tell you what, the policeman, the officer that was in charge was not happy. I can I mean, imagine. He was, he was mad. So I wasn't welcome back at the simulator. Well, you did shoot a whole bunch of people. Here's the thing. This is a misleading headline. I just skimmed through the rest of that during that boring story of yours. Uh um, Boring! (laughs) Boring! I could have been shot myself! And, uh... Yeah, nobody shot anybody. No, I I was hoping for, like, a a fun-filled... I was at a shooting range with a teacher, and she shot me in the leg. No, nobody shot anybody. Ah, stupid Yahoo. Ruining my show. Yahoo! All right. Our next story, I don't remember what the... Oh, yep. 
Yep. Yep. Yep. I remember yep. this now. Yep. Yep. I remember why I saved this. Uh, this one comes from us across the pond, or comes to us, rather, not from us. This one comes to us from across the pond, from Manchester Evening News. The headline reads, Man who complained, he had... I can't. It's so stupid. Man who complained he had adult potato thrown at his head goes viral after Facebook rant. Oh, hold up. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I did hear you right, but my hearing's going bad. It's actually a lot of fun because the stupid stuff I think people say to me. Did you just say he had an adult potato thrown at him? Yes, he complained he had an adult potato thrown at his head goes viral after Facebook rant. Uh, <laughs> just just for my clarification, Zach, what is an adult potato? I don't know, but I'm sure we're going to find out. Uh, the tagline of this uh, story is, quote, I'm a proud family man, CQ library member of 30 plus years and a Lexus owner. I don't deserve vegetables flying at my head in car. A man who took to social media to complain after a little girl throwing an, quote, adult potato, end quote, at his head has gone viral after his rant left others in a Facebook group confused by the strange encounter, which, as a library member and a Lexus owner, he complained should not have happened. An enraged... I'm telling you right now, I'm going to start carrying taters in my vehicle. The next time I see someone driving a Lexus, I'm going to throw it at him. I want to know what kind of car this man thinks you have to drive in order to deserve to have an adult potato thrown at your head. He's still driving a Ford Pinto. Hey, I don't have a library card and a Chevy Spark, and I deserve to have an adult potato thrown at my head. It's just... An adult potato. Have you ever been hit by a potato before, by the way? Yeah, but it was a little kid potato, so it was fine. Oh, an, enraged, <laughs> an enraged Terry Rolineau posted on the Kona's Quay group on Wednesday night after the bizarre event on Inglefield Avenue, saying that this incident is evidence that the town has, quote, taken a turn for the worst. Mr. Rolineau claims that a, quote, little girl threw a, quote, fully grown adult potato at him. <laughs> which then bounced off his car and hit him again. <laughs> <laughs> Not only did he take a direct shot, he also ran into some ricochet. So, if you're following this along at home, this man had a big potato thrown at him, it bounced off of him, hit his car, and it bounced back and hit him a second time. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> he said that, as a, quote, proud family man, library member, and owner of a Lexus, he does not deserve to be set upon with vegetables. He wrote, quote, to the little girl that threw a fully grown adult potato at my head this evening, I hope you're happy with yourself. I hope you had a good laugh when the potato bounced off my car and hit me again. 
I'm a proud family man. <laughs> I'm a proud family man. CQ library member of 30 plus years and a Lexus owner. I don't deserve vegetables flying at my head in car. This town has taken a turn for the worse lately. But while Mr. Rolanou was likely expecting some sympathy from others, all he got was a good roasting. One user commented, We can all appreciate the simple childhood pleasure of hurling a potato at a Lexus owner. <laughs> I really am just kind of without speech. I, I just... Boo-hoo. <laughs> Another wrote, I know the person in the car was only a spectator, but they may have seen the incident. You should appeal for information. Did you get the puns there? A spectator? <laughs> appeal? <sighs> One person even joked that he could have been decapitated. <laughs> <laughs> Hundreds more uh, potato puns were left, along with photos of Toy Story's Mr. Potato Head and suggestions that he keep his eyes peeled next time. Keep your eyes open. That may just be the single greatest news story I've read in a oh, long, long time. Wow. Oh, well, what do, a you, do, you, do, you, do you have the chicken story? What chicken story? The man, the man that killed the neighbor's chicken? No. Can, can I read it to you? Yeah. This comes from Tuesday, July 5th, 2022. Man accused of killing neighbor's pet rooster. Now, if you get a chance, you really, this is from Jacksonville, Florida. It was CNN News Source. You need to go back and watch the guy as he talks about it, because I can't give it justice. It said a Florida man is speaking out after spending a month in jail after he was accused of killing his neighbor's rooster. James Nix Jr. says the rooster was a menace in the neighborhood and it attacked him. But the rooster's owner and former friend of Nix says that is not the case. I didn't know. Give it a 21-gun salute. CPR. Mouth-to-mouth. You know, or call the chicken ambulance. Big Roo was Jason DeFelice's pet rooster, that is, until Nick's hit it with a stick. So I'm defending myself. You know, I was feared for my safety, and the chicken, you know, uh, died. Nick says the rooster attacked people. I have not heard that. DeFelice said. Because I know the neighbor here, uh, I know him. Like, we're, we're friends. <laughs> he never said anything to me about it. I did tell him. After the chicken hit my dad, I said, hey, man, the chicken attacked my dad. Oh, what's the deal? It's just a chicken. What's he going to do? You know, okay, well, look. The neighbors even disagree on how others saw Big Roo. The kids that used to live over there, they were throwing rocks and sticks at this chicken to keep it away. I know the kids down here, they played with the rooster a little bit, like would throw rocks at it and chase it. <laughs> Nick says that one day the rooster followed and attacked him. His neck flares up, and he's doing his thing, and he's trying to jump up at me. He was trying to get the animal away. And I tried to hit it, but the chicken's jumping up at me, and I accidentally knocked it in the head. You know, call it a lucky shot, whatever. <laughs> but when... 
But when DeFelice came home, all he saw was his rooster dead in the ditch. I said, I'm calling JSO. I called JSO. JSO didn't do nothing. And then a couple days later, I, I realized I could call animal control. DeFelice said. And in late June, Nix went to jail for animal cruelty. Next thing you know, he calls the chicken police on me. While the neighbors continue to fight, Nick says he should never have been arrested. Chickens are dying every day, people, at churches, Popeyes, and Kentucky Fried Chicken. Really. <laughs> God, I, want him, I want him to list more chicken things. <laughs> All right. As everyone knows by now, I'm a native Ohioan. And because of that, I love my great state, but I also fear for the safety of all Ohioans. Which is why I want to tell you about the Loveland Frog. The Loveland Frog. Quick question, where is Loveland? Is that up by Cleveland? It's down by Cincinnati, so pretty much the exact opposite. The exact opposite. The Loveland Frog. It's right, it's right on the border of Kentucky, Indiana, and Ohio. Wow. In Ohio for folklore and folklore, <laughs> the Loveland Frog, also known as the Loveland Frogman, or Loveland Lizard, or by his friends, Lenny, is a legendary humanoid frog described as standing roughly four foot tall, four feet tall even, allegedly spotted in Loveland, Ohio. In 1972, the Loveland frog legend gained renewed attention when a Loveland police officer reported to a colleague that he'd seen an animal consistent with the descriptions of the frog man. After a purported sighting in 2016, the second officer called a news station to report that he had shot and killed the same creature some weeks after the 1972 incident, and identified it as a large iguana that was missing its tail. Hmm. <laughs> and walking on his hind legs. Well, he didn't have Hello, a tail. my baby. Hello, my darling. <laughs> University of Cincinnati folklore professor Edgar Slotkin compared the Loveland Frog to Paul Bunyan saying that the stories about it have been passed down for several decades, and the sighting reports seem to come in predictable cycles. In 2014, the Loveland Frog legend was made into a musical titled, Hot Diggity Dog, It's the Loveland Frog. <laughs> Do we have access to this musical anywhere? No, I looked it up. Uh, real quick, Mr. Professor Edgar Slotkin, sir. I'm pretty sure that you can't compare the Loveland Frog, which I have never heard of in my entire life until I found Ever. this Wikipedia page, to Paul Bunyan. I mean, Paul Bunyan carved out the Grand Canyon. Yes. I mean, Paul Bunyan was 400 feet tall and did everything important for America. The Loveland Frog, on the other hand, is a really big frog, probably an iguana that's missing a tail. Yes. That is that is not comparable to Paul Bunyan. You're a bad professor, and you should feel bad. You start besmirching Paul Bunyan, you're going to upset a lot of people. Especially on this show. You do not, do not ever, <laughs> ever 
speak ill of Paul Bunyan on the Rotten or Righteous podcast. I can take a lot of flack, Scott. A lot of flack. I'll let a lot of things go. But you do not ever insult Paul Bunyan. Not here. (laughs) Not with me. me. You You insult my mother. Zach. (laughs) But do not say anything negative about the Paulus Bunyanus. (laughs) Paulus Bunyanus. That's his Latin animal name. According to various legends, the creature was first sighted by a businesswoman or a traveling salesman, one or the other, driving along an unnamed road late at night in 1955. Why wasn't that road named? Probably because this isn't real. With some versions of the story specifying the month of May. In one story, the driver was heading out of the Branch Hill neighborhood when he spotted three figures that stood erect on their hind legs along the side of the road, each three to four feet tall in height with leathery skin and frog faces. Later on, it just comes... (laughs) Later on, he just came to find out that they were three elderly midgets returning from a trip to Vegas. You know, in the dark, I can squat and jump and look like a frog myself. No, you can't. No, you can't. Think of what kind of hot diggity dog frog I'd be. In other versions of the story, the creatures were spotted under, or over, or even inside, apparently, a poorly lit bridge. And one held a wand over its head that fired a spray of sparks. <laughs> what a stupid story! What a stupid, stupid story! What a stupid thing to talk about! Well, I saw a bunch of frogs. They might have been under the bridge, or they could have been on top of the bridge. Maybe they were even in front of the bridge, boy, but they had wands, spraying sparks. And I'm pretty sure. They, uh, we had leathery skin, and, uh, yeah, they, they were going to Hogwarts. No, no, they weren't. They were going to Frogwarts. Sorry. (laughs) Oh, shoot. (sighs) On March 3rd, 1972, at 1 a.m., Loveland police officer Ray Shockey was driving on Riverside Drive near the Totes Boot Factory in the Little Miami River when an unidentified animal scurried across the road in front of his vehicle. The animal was fully illuminated in his vehicle's headlights, and he described it as three to four feet tall and about 50 to 75 pounds with leathery skin. He reported spotting the animal crouched like a frog before it momentarily stood erect to climb over the guardrail and back down towards the river. Two weeks after the incident, a second Loveland police officer, Mark Matthews, reported seeing an unidentified animal crouched along the road in the same vicinity as Shockey's sighting. Matthews shot the animal. Because Matthews is nobody's favorite officer, recovered the body, <laughs> not now, and put it in his trunk to show Officer Shockey. Hey Scott, if you ever want to show me something, do me a favor and don't shoot the thing. <laughs> you telling me to bring it in alive? No, I'm just telling you maybe take a picture. It's fine. Oh. According to Matthews, it was a large iguana. About three or three and a half feet. And he didn't immediately recognize it because it was missing its tail. 
Matthews speculated the iguana had been someone's pet that either got loosed or was released when it grew too large. I'm going with that latter one. I bet somebody had a giant iguana and they're just like, what's too big for its tank? I know what to do, Mario. Cut off its tail. All right, we'll try it. Give me the cleaver. Nah, it's still too big. Eh, Might as well let it go. See, which begs the question, how big do iguanas get? I don't know. The green iguana, 12 to 17 inches, snout the vent. Uh-huh, snout the vent. Is that uh, the butthole? I don't know, Scott. But I tell you what, that's really weird because it's exactly the same way my doctor measures me. <laughs> I'm not surprised. <laughs> hey, 3.9 to 5.6 feet. Adults typically grow to 3.9 to 5.6 feet in length from head to tail. And I know iguanas can walk on their hind legs. I've seen it. The largest iguanas between 5 and 7 feet. Great. From nose to tail. Now, that's obviously not the vent. I don't know what the vent is. What I'm is telling the... you, it's, it's the poop hole. No, the cloacal vent located on iguana's underside where the body meets the tail. The vent contains the iguana's reproductive organs. <laughs> so thanks for making me learn that. According to Matthews, Shockey was shown the dead iguana and confirmed it was the animal he had seen two weeks previously. Matthews recounted the incident to an author of a book about urban legends, but the author omitted the part that confirmed that the preacher was an iguana rather than a frogman. Of course they did. Iguanas don't sell papers. Frogmen do. This is Ohio. As long as you don't speak bad about Paul Bunyan, you can do whatever you want. That's right. In August 2016, local Cincinnati TV stations reported that a night of fun turned into a chilling tale of horror when two teenagers playing Pokemon Go between Loveland Madeira Road and Lake Isabella claimed to see a giant frog near the lake on August 3rd that stood up and walked on its hind legs. It was later revealed to be a local student from Archbishop Moeller High School in a homemade frog costume. <laughs> <laughs> That is my favorite student ever. So not only is Moeller known for their football expertise, they're also known for their students dressing up as frogs. Oh my goodness. That was so good. That was the best. That was a pretty good Wikipedia page. <laughs> For Rotten or Righteous News Network. I'm, I'm Shadow Biscayne. He's Scott Judge. He's always Scott Judge. He'll never not be Scott Judge. This show didn't make your life any better. Maybe you'll learn something. Maybe you'll be on the lookout for that Loveland frog. You now know what an iguana vent is. Scott is going to now paint himself fully green put on a green speedo, go down to Loveland and just croak on the side of a on the side of a pond somewhere. And that I on think a hillside gonna... down off I-71. But guess what? Your life could have been worse. For example, on July 22nd, 1934. It was a bad enough day for John Dillinger, that notorious gangster, dubbed public enemy number 1 by the FBI. He was gunned down behind Chicago's Biograph Theater on July 22nd, 1934, but for Melvin Purvis, who had to live with the name Melvin Purvis Melvin his whole Purvis. life, 
the G-man who finally nailed him, it was almost worse. His actions that day, and in the subsequent killings of Charles Arthur Pretty Boy Floyd, made him a national hero, a status that did not sit well at all with his boss and mentor, J. Edgar Hoover. The megalomaniac FBI director believed all laurels should rest exclusively on his own head, and he would make Purvis pay for having snatched his moment of glory. Hoover pursued a vendetta against his former friend for the next quarter century. Purvis was once the director's golden boy, southern gentleman, solidly middle class and strikingly handsome. All power to the Clark Gable of the service, Hoover once wrote to his young protege in one of his many missives that displayed an intimacy few other agents in the Bureau ever enjoyed. As the director told Purvis's father, he has been one of my closest and dearest friends. With Hoover's blessing and guidance, Purvis was eventually made special agent in charge of the Bureau's Chicago office. There was one overwhelming task at hand, to get the charismatic criminal who was simultaneously terrorizing and enchanting the American Midwest, taunting law enforcement as he did it. Well, son, the director wrote to Purvis, keep a stiff upper lip and get Dillinger for me, and the world is yours. He signed it, sincerely and affectionately, J.E. Purvis had received a tip that Dillinger would be attending a movie at the Biograph on July 22nd. When the gangster emerged from the theater that night, Purvis spotted him and lit a cigar as a prearranged signal to the other agents and Chicago police officers. Dillinger grew wary and ran into a nearby alley. Stick him up, Johnny, Purvis shouted. We have you surrounded. The gangster drew his gun, but he was killed before he was able to get off a shot. A near-legendary outlaw was dead, and in the aftermath, a new American hero was born. Alas, that hero wasn't J. Edgar Hoover. The director dutifully congratulated Purvis, writing that my appreciation of the success with which your efforts have met in this case is lasting and makes me most proud of you. But privately, he seethed as his top agent's star rose. Hoover was jealous of him, recalled Purvis's secretary, Doris Lockerman. Unless you continued to please the king, didn't continue as the favorite very long. They saw to it that Purvis got no more assignments that put him in the public eye. He found himself spending months interviewing applicants for jobs as agents. Every effort was made to denigrate him, to embarrass him. He was terribly hurt. Just one year after his famous takedown of Dillinger, Purvis resigned from the FBI. But J.E. was by no means finished with him. Hoover made it his mission to sabotage virtually every endeavor Purvis pursued and ensured that he was all but erased from the FBI's official history. It became bureau policy that Purvis was a non-person, wrote author Richard Gid Powers. So extreme and absurd were some of these measures that Purvis was even written out of the Dillinger story altogether. Indeed, in the bureau-backed radio series G-Men, he was replaced by a marginal fictionalized character called Nellis. The real star became Hoover, controlling events from his office in Washington where he famously kept Dillinger's desk mask on display. And so it went until 1960, when Purvis died from a gunshot to the head. Whether it was an accident or deliberate remains uncertain, 
But as his son Austin wrote, that didn't matter to Hoover, who, immediate, who immediately announced that Purvis had committed suicide. Quote, his bulletin made no mention of my father's accomplishments, his sacrifices for the Bureau, his place in history. There were no elegant phrases pro-offering gratitude, no expressions of sadness or sympathy. The sparseness of the bulletin, as well as its swiftness, suggested a trace of gloating. Hoover simply could not wait to publicize what, to him, was a long-awaited victory. The final silencing of a man he considered his nemesis. Good night, everybody. <laughs> Hasta la vista! Man, that makes you feel good. This show was warm and tingly in all the right ways. It was. It was, was great. It was such a, I'm, I bet people are going to come back for even more laughs. <laughs>, <laughs> That was Rotten or Righteous News with your anchors, Scott Judge and Zach Geiler. Tune in next week for more, maybe. I don't know. <laughs>